And it is so good to be here. The last two weeks we've had special speakers, so I've been sitting down here, and uh, it was absolutely enjoyable. Um, two weeks ago we had a young lady, Carrie Gleason, come and open God's Word, and last week we had Merritt Sawyer, and uh, those were two female preachers that absolutely moved me. I hope it was an amazing blessing to you. I also had the opportunity with a couple of people, uh, folks from our church, to go this last Monday to a breakfast up in Woodbury. Um, I wouldn't encourage driving up to a breakfast in Woodbury through rush hour from Mankato. That's not fun. What we got When we got there, it was fun. Gary Walters, the president of the covenant denomination and uh, I am new to the covenant denomination uh, seven months new and uh, it hit me that we are part of an absolutely amazing amazing denomination Christ-centered biblical planting churches caring about justice and it's one of the few the very very few denominations in the U.S. that is actually growing because it's centered on the person of Jesus Christ and we're submitting to what does it mean to be the church together. So I say that some of you don't know what the covenant denomination is. And as you get to know Crossview, as you maybe take a newcomer's class or, or whatnot, you'll get a sense that we're part of a larger body, which is also part of the large body, the body of Christ. But it's a really, really healthy place to be. And I'm excited for us to be there as a community. We started a few weeks ago a series, short series, on the Beatitudes. We're calling it Blessed, and the idea is we're going to look at just those first few verses in Matthew chapter 5 and try and understand what they're about. We'll come back to Matthew 5 through 7 here and there over the years, but we want to start in these first few verses, the Beatitudes, which many of us have, have, have heard, read, or preached about. And often when we hear the Beatitudes preached, it's from two different perspectives. One is the Beatitudes, the blesseds, are all about some future reality that will happen one day. Or you get the sense that they're conditional, that you have to do these things to be blessed by God. And the reality is neither of those are good or true. David Lowe says this. He says, there's a hidden trap in the Beatitudes that I know I have fallen into countless times, and perhaps you have too. The trap is as simple as it is subtle. Listen to this. Believing that Jesus is setting up the conditions of blessing rather than actually blessing his hearers. A picture of the depiction sort of of the Sermon on the Mount, one artist rendering of it. I'm going to leave it up there for a couple of minutes because what we're trying to say is that Jesus is preaching an actual message to an actual crowd. The mood of these verbs, the blessed, is indicative. So it's not some future thing. It's not a go do this. Indicative simply means this is true. Jesus is looking out at actual people, looking them in the eyes. It says in the first couple of verses that he saw them, which he perceives something deeper. He sees them, looks at them, and says, you are blessed. That I have wonderful news for you. So imagine this. Imagine the crowd, imagine the disciples, imagine Jesus looking at them. In a couple of weeks, we started off with the first couple of Beatitudes, the first three, which are intricately connected, and it's about this idea of the humility of the poor. So let me recap it as we head into the passage today, the poor. The poor in spirit, this was those who actually have economic struggles, but yet in the midst of struggling and having nothing here on earth, these are people who still remain spiritually dependent on God. And the promise to them is the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. That you have nothing here, you struggle here, you're for want here, but there will be a day where you will be completely satisfied. 
Then he said, the mourners. Blessed are the mourners. These are the people who grieve, who've experienced loss and death in profound ways, but still have the ability to go and comfort somebody else. A very, very challenging thing to do, right? To be in the midst of your own pain and yet be able to give something away to be in another person's moment of pain. And the promise to them is they're going to be comforted. That there will be a time when the great comforter, like 1 Corinthians 1 says, or 2 Corinthians 1, that the great comforter will comfort them. And then the third one was the meek. The meek are those who suffer, those who have been humbled, those who have been put down, and yet they have this amazing ability, and this goes so countercultural to how we're, we're wired. They have this amazing ability to not seek revenge. That they can be slapped and hit and pushed down and dejected, and they have this ability to not seek revenge. And the promise to them is that they will inherit the earth. It's the hope of a faithful Jew that the land that the offspring, that which they had been promised in Genesis 12 to Abraham, would come true. So these are actual people in an actual crowd. And we tried to say some of these people, this group of people, they're among us. And they need to know that they are blessed. They have wonderful news from God. And for those of us maybe who aren't in that group, what does it mean for us to see them? What does it mean for us to move towards them? Before we jump into the next three, let me just be very clear about this because we need to understand this point that Jesus is not setting up conditions of blessing. He's just plain out blessing people. And the beauty of it is, is all kinds, all kinds of down and out, all kinds of vulnerable people, the least, the lost, the left behind, the people at the bottom of the social ladder. And he does this. He does this to proclaim that God's kingdom, the thing that Jesus talks about more than anything else, his kingdom is different than we can imagine. And so as faithful followers of Jesus, we try again and again and again to get our minds around what does this kingdom actually look like? What does it mean to follow a God revealed in Jesus Christ who actually would be with the poor rather than the rich? That he's with those who are mourning rather than just with those who are celebrating. That he looks at the meek and the peacemakers and they somehow get the kingdom of God a little bit more than the victorious and the powerful. Gives us a lens into what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That we trust Jesus and we try and live fully as followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God. So that brings us to our passage this morning. It's going to be those three verses, six through eight, that Katie read. Let me read them again. These are the, I've titled this the bringers of justice. These three work, work together. They sort of build off each other. But there's this, this core idea of justice that we want to get our heart around this morning. Verse 6 says this, wonderful news for the people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. A lot of translations say righteousness. We're going to break that down in a second. Here's the promise. You're going to be satisfied. Verse 7, wonderful news for the merciful. You will receive mercy yourselves. Verse 8, wonderful news for the pure in heart. You will see God. So let's start at verse 6. Wonderful news or blessed Wonderful news for people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. This idea of righteousness, the idea of justice, you've got to break down a little bit. 
In the, book, in the books that Paul wrote later on in the New Testament, the idea of justice has this idea of something that God, through what Jesus Christ has done, gives to people who put their faith and trust in Christ. That They have been made right, put right, because of what Jesus has done, right? But this is pre-that. This idea of righteousness has something else going on here. When Jesus used the word righteous, what he's referring to, he's referring to people, actual people in the crowd who are the truly faithful Torah followers. Not the judgmental, but the faithful Torah followers, the ones who really believed and leaned into the fact that there was a covenant God who loved them. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. It was sort of the, the core belief of a first century Jew. And these are people who faithfully, faithfully followed that put their life around it. Think about Abraham with me. Abraham in Genesis 12. God comes to him and says, I want you to leave your family. You are going to be mine. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. I will give you land and I will give you offspring. He's given this amazing promise. And this is the idea when we talk about a covenant God, that's what they think of. It goes right back to Abraham. The promise that had been given to Abraham was their promise. And these are people who hunger and thirst for that to happen. They believe that God would actually do what God had promised to do. Even though they were living under a Roman oppression, things weren't right. Things weren't good. And the hunger and thirst, it's not just desire. It has this idea of deprivation. They're, 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 they're quenched for thirst. They want something so, so badly. They want God to make things right. And these are the people who believe that he actually will. Made me think about Mother Teresa. If you've ever done much reading about Mother Teresa, you read and try and understand hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's what she did. She spent her life believing that God would do what God actually said he would do, that he would care for the least, the lost, and the left behind. She invested all she had, and it's interesting, even after her death, that we're finding that it, that it was not easy, right? She struggled with depression, which if you've ever been to India, I spent a month there, I can't imagine what she did. And she was with the least of these she committed her whole life because she hungered and thirsted for the covenant God to make things right. And there were people sitting in the crowd in the first century who were the same. Things weren't right. But they put their complete trust that God would make things right. It's intriguing the promise here. You're going to be satisfied. The word, the word literally means bloated. It's the 30 minutes after the Thanksgiving meal when you're sitting on the couch, you undo the first button, you're like, oh, I, I mean, light and football's on, life could not be better, and that's the promise. You're hungry now for things to be made right. One day, things will be made completely right. You're maybe seeing it and sensing it, but one day it will be made completely right, and that is the promise. Verse 7. Wonderful news, or blessed are the merciful. You, you'll receive mercy yourselves. In the most basic sense, the merciful, they're healers. 
There are people who want to put to right, to use an NT right term, want to put to right what has gone wrong, what is broken in the world around them. They are pouring everything in they have into the broken systems around them. Everything, poverty, hunger, disease, demons, debt, whatever is not right, these are people who look at it and they act. The merciful people know the merciful heart of God, which isn't just something where you see it. You actually move into it. You do something about it. When I lived in Philadelphia, I was there for almost 10 years. I got to meet a guy named Shane Claiborne. Does anybody know who Shane Claiborne is? A few of you have probably read his books. Uh, Shane is what we would call a very radical Christian. Uh, but his story is interesting. Shane grew up a preppy kid in Kentucky. I don't know if that's an oxymoron, but that's the terminology he used. But he grew up a preppy kid in Kentucky, goes to Eastern uh, University in Philly, which is a a Baptist Christian university. And he has this professor who starts to move him towards places that he did not know before. And so he spends time with homeless people. And in the process of spending time with homeless people, I encourage you to read some of his books. God gives him a heart of mercy to actually move towards them. And Shane and a group of friends moved into the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia. Um, Has anybody been in the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia? Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia is the place that you don't drive through at noon. Not not just even dark time. It's a really rough neighborhood. And Shane and his group of friends moved in there and still are there living in community trying to be a blessing. That's merciful. That's to see something that is broken and not right. And he has story after story. I encourage you to read his books um, of what it means to actually move into that, to bring hope and redemption and the presence of Christ into places that are just so, so messed up. The merciful not only see it, they move in action. It's the story that we heard a little bit last week of Paul Carlson in the Congo when everything is falling apart and he should run, a heart of mercy says, stand here even if death might come your way. The promise is you'll receive mercy, which simply means the very thing that they are giving away one day when things are made completely right, when heaven comes to earth, they will know and experience the goodness of that mercy themselves. It's a beautiful thing. And then verse eight. Wonderful news for the pure in heart. You will see God. Remember, these are all connected. That, that you don't really get the merciful thing unless you understand the pure in heart thing. And I think Jesus knew that as he looked at this crowd. And so he says, wonderful news for the pure in heart. You will see God. These are the people among us and among Jesus in the first century that they're not concerned about human accolades. They're not concerned about getting the credit every time they do something. You would look at this person, you would say they are truly humble. They love God with their whole heart and soul and mind and strength. But there is a deep down humility there that is just so beautiful. One of the people that I knew like this was my grandma Robinson who died about 15 years ago, right after Stacy and I met. And she was an amazing woman. I remember at her funeral, all, man, there's 15 or 20 grandkids. I forget how many. 
But we were standing around reminiscing uh, one of those joy-filled events. And, and I told them, I said, you guys know that I was her favorite. She told me that. And they all said she told us the same thing. So that was her one downfall. She was a liar, but... <laughs> but she, year after year after year, read through God's word. Not in a legalistic way, not because she had to do it. She knew that when she went there, she saw God. Every morning she would wake up and pray for all her kids and grandkids. This good, pure heart. I found about another person like this this week from Crossview. This week, a, uh, a Nettie Erickson passed away. And Nettie has been around Crossview, I think, for 55 years. And uh, as I've been talking to her family and talking to people that knew her well, Nettie was pure in heart. She loved God with a passion and did things for absolutely no desire to get credit. She gave birthday cards, probably many of you got little birthday cards, and her heart was just to encourage. She would send get well cards. I mean, the list goes on and on, but just this good, pure heart. So when we think about this, the pure in heart, the merciful, people hungering, just so desiring for righteousness. I think it's so interesting. The promise to the pure in heart is you will see God. You will see God. And think about it. First century, sitting on the side of that hill, Jesus preaching to them and says, blessed, wonderful news to the pure in heart. Because you're actually seeing God right now. If you're new to this whole Christian thing and wondering what's going on, wondering what God is like, God is exactly like Jesus Christ. We see who God is when we look at Jesus Christ. They saw God. They will ultimately see God one day. That's what God is like. Exactly like Jesus Christ because Jesus is God. So these are people whose heart is so deeply moved to love God with every ounce and iota of who they are and then to love others as themselves. And often that was the least, the lost, the left out, the left behind. There were people who were okay living in the tension. One of the biggest challenges, is, challenges for us, right? That we know the promise that one day heaven will come to earth, that God will actually make all things right. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. You're going to get used to me saying that. Revelations 21, that's heaven. That's when things are made right. But it's not fully right now, is it? One of my, uh, I say it, one of my gifts, my wife calls it an addiction. One of my addictions is I love um, just TV series. And with the onset of Nat Netflix, I can go through a TV series pretty quickly. And one of my current favorite ones is Flashpoint. Has everybody ever watched Flashpoint? That's five more than we're at the first service that watched Flashpoint. So I'm picking some great shows that are really popular. Um, but Flashpoint is the show about this special group of police that when there's a crisis moment, they go and they do their deal. And it's intriguing to me to watch because... Um, Sometimes they go and they solve the problem and no one dies and everything ends up really good. Other times they go and they encounter a situation and it works out horribly. 
people die, families are destroyed. And I was thinking about it. One of the profound things is that they come back to work the next day, right? Like when you don't see justice happen, we learn from these people that following Jesus, believing that one day things will be made right, that we live in tension. Sometimes it's really good, right guys? Sometimes it's not. But we live with the hope that God will ultimately make things right. I hope as we walk away and what we take away from this is that when we see this, when we try and get our hearts and minds around what Jesus is teaching, we get a a little clearer glimpse of the kingdom. The thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. We're going to talk about it a lot at Crossview. What does it mean for us to trust Jesus, the King, and to live as fully as we can day in, day out in the kingdom? And what we find, what we find is that when we see those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, when we see the merciful, when we see the pure in heart, when we see those who are poor in spirit, we get a glimpse of what the kingdom's like. We get a glimpse of who embodies it. I, I get a glimpse of how to lead my staff team when I see the pure in heart, right? You get a glimpse of how to be a good parent when you see someone that is merciful. They give us a glimpse of what the kingdom is all about. The bringers of justice. We find them, we listen to them, we help them, we pray for them, we walk alongside them, and we celebrate them because they show us the kingdom. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you you would do a good work in each person here, God. For those among us who are new to this whole faith, spiritual journey thing, God, I pray that they would see that you are exactly like who you are in Jesus Christ in the scriptures. That there's no other way to describe you that that is God. The God who comes among us, the God who dies, the God who rises again to make all things right, including us. And then God, help us to live more faithfully, trusting you, day in, day out, in our actual everyday lives as people who are part of your kingdom. pray this in your name. Amen.